Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luer, and I'm excited to have a fellow YPR and good friend on the line here, Mr. Jeff Marks, calling in from the City of Angels in California. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thanks, Marcus. Excited to be here, and I uh, hope everything's going well in Bangkok over there. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, actually the first time I'm doing this from Bangkok. I've been in uh, stuck in Kuala Lumpur for the last five months, and they finally let me out. And now I'm stuck in a hotel here for 14 days on quarantine. It's it's a, it's a crazy world we're now living in. That is for sure. But I hope you're healthy there in L.A. We're good. Let's give your audience uh, a run for their money. Absolutely. And and. The first, before I, I quickly give you an introduction, is where, you know, we've been uh, talking now for several months, um, obviously connected through the YPO network. Uh, and I think one thing I feel, at least, is that we found, I found a little brother on the other side of the pond because <laughs> I think our energy level are somewhat similar. So let's hope uh, that comes across here in our discussion because uh, that's how we normally talk all the time anyway. So uh, let's, let's get going here. Now, a quick intro on yourself. Um Jeff's had an incredible, illustrious career over the years, um, started off in the corporate consulting business, uh, and then uh, after, I guess, uh, you went back to school, did an MBA, and then you got into the world of sports with a company called Sport Business Group. We'll talk a bit about it later. Um, then uh, partnered up with Alan Rosberg, which is going to be an interesting part of the story, um, then ended up uh, setting up your, I believe, another, the next venture was Premier Partnerships. Um, and, uh, and that, I believe, is still around in, in the form of Premier Ventures. And now, of course, and this is where we're going to spend quite a bit of time, is the Innovative Partnership Group, or IPG360, uh, which you're doing some amazing stuff, and, and we're going to spend uh, you know, a good amount of time there really exploring that world. But um, start off, Jeff, um, how did you, first of all, you know, I guess uh, being a corporate consultant, uh, this is sort of coming out of, uh, out of, out of university, um, you spent several years there. How did that get you from there into the world of sports? What was the jump here? Uh, thanks, Marcus. Uh, yeah, it was a circuitous route, I guess you'd say, to where, where we are today at Innovative Partnerships Group. So I finished my MBA. I'd been in the world of corporate consulting. And uh, I kind of figured out in business school that I wanted to go find an industry that I was really passionate about. You know, I played professional baseball. I grew up in the, you know, in the sports industry and I didn't really know the business of sports. I thought it, I thought you either could be a sports agent or you had to sell tickets. Okay. And, uh, I took a course uh, with a professor there named David Carter, who had a, a, a agency called the Sports Business Group. And uh, I don't know, one thing led to another. And uh, after the first day of class, I woke up the next day and I was the managing director still in school uh, at his <laughs> at his agency. And it's not that cool to say I was a managing director because it was just him and me. So it was just two employees. Right. Okay. Okay. So this was while, while you were doing your MBA, is it? Or Yeah. And it was pretty, I mean, it was nice. You know, what I noticed about Sports Business Group, he was kind of a strategy firm and kind of like, a, you know, more of like a McKinsey type thing that, that was in sports. And uh, we're, he was doing some really, really cool projects. So I cut him a deal. I said, listen, I said, you keep most of the money. I'll keep a little bit. I'm going to say that I'm your managing director. I'm going to do all the work. I'm going to hire all the people and all the interns. So all you got to do is go out and, and bring in deals and I'll do everything. What do you think of that? And he goes, you're hired. I love it. I love it. So before we you know move on from there, just tell me a bit, what is it exactly you were guys doing or, or maybe a couple of you know deals um, you guys are working on at that time? You were there a few years, right? 
Uh, yeah, but I mean, it went pretty quick. I mean, it was a strategy firm. So at the time, the city of L.A. was desperately trying to bring NFL football back. So we were, you know, doing anything from working with the city of Anaheim, believe it or not, the NFL was looking at that, right. to the city of L.A. hired us, and we identified three sites, uh, actually, where it ended up landing. SoFi Stadium was not one of the three, uh, interesting enough. And then, and then just doing corporate consulting, I'll tell you that, you know, you always remember the deals that got away. Mm. I had actually, and this is what kind of started the next business, which was the venture capital firm premier, uh, I mean, sports business ventures. Yes. I was at a poker game and this guy to my right says, Hey, you have a consulting firm. And I was kind of chuckling cause it was two people. And, uh, he goes, I've just started this company and, uh, I've got four employees. It's called StubHub. And like to help me consult to it. And I said, yeah. He says, hey, you know, we don't have a lot of cash. Would you be open to taking equity and cash? So I go back to my partner. I say, hey, what do you think of this startup? It's called StubHub. They got four employees. Oh, uh, it'll be half, half equity, half cash. Uh, my professor says, we don't take equity stakes in startups. I go back and tell him we don't get, we don't get the job, as you can imagine. Yes. I still remember that one. But – that was the genesis for starting a venture capital firm, you know, a year later. Right. Before we go there, I want to go back to what you just said earlier. You said you were playing professional baseball. Um, what level, where were you playing? Oh, uh, that, that must be my business development skills. I made it sound a little bit cooler than it was. So I, <laughs> so I played college ball and I played one year in the Astros organization. I guess my claim to fame is the summer of the, of the, uh, that we played, uh, I was left-handed and short, so you really don't have a position uh, in baseball if you're left-handed and short. And I split time with a guy named Dave Roberts, who's now the manager of the Dodgers. So I guess my claim to fame was I got only a few at-bats that summer, but Dave and I became buddies, and uh, he went on to have a great career, obviously, in Major League Baseball. But you, you played baseball at, at uh, university or college yeah. level. Exactly. Right. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, so now, now we're at, uh, the sports business venture side of it. Um, and, uh, as you said, you know, that was sort of leading out of, um, out of your first, you know, entry into the industry. And so tell me a bit about, uh, the few years you were there, what, what you were doing and how that, I guess, led into the next one, which was the, uh, premier partnerships. Yeah. So I think a lot about that, Marcus, because, you know, that was right at the last time we had kind of a, uh, you know, a major recession. So it was, you know, the housing crisis and the financial crisis yeah. in 2008. Sure. So we launched uh, Sports Business Ventures. Uh, I saw a market void for kind of uh, early stage companies at that time. There was a lot, you know, the digital revolution was happening. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an aggregation of content. And I came up with an idea to start a, a venture capital firm dedicated in sports. And what I did was I brought some very, very senior level people in the industry. One was the founder of Major League Soccer and the chairman of the World Cup, a guy named Alan Rothenberg. I brought, I brought Neil Pilsen. If, if you've known Neil Pilsen, he was the president of CBS Sports. He's the one that's credited with bringing the NCAA tournament to CBS and all of their sports programming. And he's the number one consultant for um, you know all the big property rights holders. And so, uh, and then I and then I assembled another guy named Bill Foltz, who was the CFO of the Dodgers and and one of the founders of Platinum Equity, which you probably know they're one of the largest, uh, you know, private equity firms in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I assembled a dream team, so I put those guys together, and then I was the doer once again, 
and made a made another offer that said, I'll do all the work and you guys can just bring the deal flow and we're off and running. Right, okay. And tell me, what what exactly, give me, give me as usual, one or two sort of the deals you guys are working on or, or projects you were working on at that time. Yeah, so we were identifying some pretty interesting space that in the high school sport, so we were looking at roll-ups of the fantasy sports leagues, if you can imagine, mm-hmm. you know, the, by the way, I remember Major League Gaming, which was before its time, which now obviously is esports. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the very first roll-ups of the high school sports, uh, we invested in a golf club company. So we were looking at some different platforms where we could kind of use our, our leverage and knowledge of relationships with leagues and teams and media companies. Um, and look at, I mean, we're, we made a little bit of money, then the recession hit. And, uh, at that point, Alan turned to me and said, I've got a company called premier partnerships. We're two years old. We sell sponsorships. I'd love for you to come over and help us uh, grow that. And that was the, you know, the next chapter in my life. Interesting. Interesting. Now, just a last question on the, on the, uh, business ventures. Um, you raised, fu- you raised the fund. So you were sitting on a certain amount of capital or where was the money coming from? Yeah. You know, you always learn from your first, you know, when you do your first of everything. So what yeah. we ended up doing is we, we, um, we created a pledge fund and not a dedicated fund. And, yeah. uh, if, if the people out there in the, in the, in the investment, no world, a pledge fund. So we had, you know, four billionaires, the difference between pledge and dedicated is I was bringing them deals that were like, you know, next general high school sports and rolling up, you know, mm. all the nation's high school sports assets or right. rolling up all the fantasy sports or the e-gaming. And and some of these guys, they couldn't really – didn't have the vision yet to say that's a good deal. So right. we would bring them deals and then um, they actually would say no to them. So mm. if I had to do it over again, which we did, was let's get a dedicated fund. Got it. Interesting. So now, Premier Partnerships, um, you ran, you know, from what I can see, almost for 10 years. Um, is the company still around? Are you still involved or you've completely moved on from there? Yeah. So uh, that was a major chapter in my in my sports business. I was brought on as the COO and, and the third partner. There's the two founders. And uh, and we ended up building out a valuation practice that I that I built uh, a consulting practice. And then, you know, I never really thought of myself as a salesperson, Marcus, believe that or not. And uh, <laughs> and then one day I get taken out to start uh, going on some of these pitches. And from my corporate consulting background, a little bit of the venture capital background, a little bit of that COO valuation analytics background and your natural energy. I, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of all of a sudden started going out and, and selling naming rights in a very different way that everyone else was. And I was coming at it from a different angle and we had a tremendous amount of success at Premier. And, we, you know, we could talk about some of the projects I ran, but um, but we ended up emerging ourselves as, as I guess, you know, one of the top naming rights agencies uh, during that period. Yeah. So, and tell me, give me, give me again, give me a couple of examples of what some of the big deals you guys did. Yeah. So uh, some of the ones that were the kind of, um, I'm kind of looking at, at the wall here in my office. Uh, my alma mater at Cal Berkeley, we did the largest field naming rights ever, Kabam Field, mm-hmm. uh, an online gaming company. Uh, one of the largest deals in Major League Baseball history with the Texas Rangers, Globe Life Park. Uh, in Canada, the largest for their Canadian football, TD Place. Uh, and probably the one that most people remember is uh, the Atlanta Falcons were building 
a uh, a new billion dollar plus stadium, and we won out uh, the project. I, I uh, you know got and and ran it, uh, and and worked with uh, the rest of the team at Premier, and we helped uh, Arthur Blank and the Falcons generate close to a billion dollars wow. in what we call contractually obligated income. Yes. Uh, Mercedes Benz Stadium happened uh, under our watch there, uh, which the Falcons did a great job. Uh, the American Family Insurance, which was the Jersey naming rights, uh, I brought that one, and that was kind of fun. We did that on a cold call, and we brought in 14 other partners, and you know, ones were kind of revolutionary, like IBM, uh, and using this this Lead Platinum Stadium as a global showroom, and that really launched what I would say was a whole new way of thinking around taking mixed-use development properties and taking real estate and sports and creating what I would call global showrooms. And that was sort of the next evolution uh, when I kind of left Premier. Uh, really, Premier Ventures was an offshoot of Premier right. and then started Innovative Partnerships Group. Right. Now, <laughs> Premier Ventures, you mentioned earlier, you learned from the, your first uh, venture part. Um, what did you do different there uh, before we move on there? Well, that one was kind of a, it was an interesting business. We didn't want to compete with Premier Partnerships. So we were also, once again, looking at next generation opportunities. So, you know, the uh, Hall of Fame Village project, which became the Johnson Controls Hall of Fame Village, that was one of the largest naming rights of uh, that year that I did. That was really mixing in and looking at taking equity stakes or actually creating agencies and a different model where I thought the industry was broken. We also represented the group um, that was buying the NHL franchise in Seattle. In fact, I was the one that brought Gary Bettman to Seattle the very first time and sort of we kind of primed the pump there. Uh, unfortunately, our group came in second uh, and we lost that bid. And second in my book is last. So I don't like to talk about that, but those were projects <laughs> that we kind of had uh, at, at Premier Ventures. Right. And Premier Ventures is still around? You're still involved or you've moved on from there completely? Um, I mean, I kind of I don't think I've told anyone this in years. Yeah, it's still there because we still have uh, passive income in, in some deals that we've right. done. But but no, no one's operating anymore. It's just, you know, there to, you know, remember what our business is. Our business is we work with global properties and global brands. We do long term partnerships. So my whole job uh, and we'll, I guess we'll get to the new company in a second is when you do long-term partnerships, if you structure them right, Marcus, and you know this because you've done these uh, in Asia, yep. is if they last forever, you know, we get paid forever. And so, yeah, so there's still some stuff that's sitting out there in that entity. And I, I like it, yeah. And I, I like contractual obligated income too. It's a, I like that term uh, as well as the, the uh, what it means. Now, besides uh, obviously what, where, where we know each other from, which is the, the world of YPO, um, we have been starting to talk about um, your new venture. And it's not that new, right? Obviously, you've been there for several years now, which you started the Innovative Partnership Group. So how did the lead from, you know, coming up out of Premier Ventures, um, how, did the new, how, how did the new baby start? Uh, talk us through, because I know, obviously, I know part of the stories already, of, you know, in terms of the technology behind it. But how did you get in there and why did you think this was the new, the better way or a new way of doing it? Yeah, Um well, you know, uh, you know, give give my former partners at Premier a lot of credit. You know, I learned a lot from them. 
But, you know, you know, you get one life and that, you know, I wasn't the founder of that agency. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to kind of start fresh, start new. And I saw the industry was kind of lacking a new way of thinking uh, where you have all these, you know, sports properties, teams and leagues and events. They don't really want to hire agencies, Marcus. They're almost like forced to. Right. It's like, OK. Right. God, we got to sell our jersey. We got to sell our stadium. We got to sell founding partners, and we can't do it in house. We don't have that level of expertise, so we want to we want to hire an outside agency. So what I I thought of was, what if we didn't build an agency? What if we actually built a business development company that was also a hybrid with a technology company, and then a property could hire us, and at that point, you don't necessarily have to hire us to do sales representation unless you absolutely need us. But what if you were able to have some of our skills and we could teach you? What if we could, if you've got good salespeople, Marcus, at your, at your team, maybe we can pass over um, some of our learnings and, and help you and maybe the compensation models a little bit differently than rather than hire an agency, pay them a big retainer, pay them big commissions forever, you know, it, that model I felt was broken. And so we, we launched Innovative Partnerships Group three and a half years ago with a whole new fresh perspective. And it was four different companies in one. Right. OK. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. So um, Innovative Partnerships Group, our first sort of business. And, it, and by the way, this is funny. And, and we teach our business development people. There's two words, Marcus, we're not allowed to say it, Innovative Partnerships Group. All right. What are they? You can't say sales and you can't use the word sponsorship. Now, right. if you call up my firm and tell any of my salespeople that we're in the business of selling sponsorships, I'm going to get really mad at you because I've, they don't think that they do that. But that's okay. it's really important because you're in front of CEOs or C-level and you're actually out there trying to convey what do they want to know. They want to know solution business development people. They want to feel problem solvers. They want someone who's going to give them new ideas. They don't want to be sold anything. Yep. So we created uh, Innovative Partnerships Group to literally have a consultative business development practice. So we are salespeople, but we don't think of ourselves as salespeople. And then we built a piece of technology in our valuation analytics division. That's our second group. And our third group, we have our own in-house think tank called IP Asset Creation. So we'll come into a sports property and we won't just tell you what you're valued. We'll tell you what you're not doing, what programs, what practices, what are things that the industry is, is doing next generation. And we build your property back up and we add shareholder value assets to it. That's our IP Asset Division. And then lastly, we invested heavily and we built our own in-house creative agency called Creative Solutions. So when you put all those four together, Marcus, and then you hire us to do a naming rights deal or founding partners or redesign your commercial sales strategy, that's the magic where all four groups come together and, and good things happen. Love it. I love it. Yeah, I love that. I love what you're doing there. How big is the team right now? Give me a sense of scale and size here. Um, well, is anyone else listening to this podcast or not? Plenty of people, yes. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. No, it's funny because the other day we had a, a couple of people said, you have 150 employees, do, don't you? And I said, no, we only have one tenth of that. We have 15. Um, so we've we've built a very scalable model. Uh, I'm very proud during COVID, Marcus, that we didn't um, we kept all of our, our core team yeah. and uh, all of my competitors 
and I won't name their names, but if you know, you go on, you can see who was up for agency of the year. We actually uh, were nominated this year. So we're up against all the, the biggest sports agency in the world. And we're the one small one that's only three years old, but we're the only one of that group that's, that's maintained our whole team. And now we actually are staffing up. So, um, we are, um, lean and mean position. We're, 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 we, we, we've, we've scaled the business to grow. So as we bring on new properties, all you need to do is add to it. And then you have the whole platform there ready to go. Yeah, great stuff. And, and like I said, being lean is in this current environment is exactly the place to be. Uh, I would totally agree. Um, I was over 100 people in the last crisis in 2008 or 9, and that, that was painful. Um, so I'm quite happy to be uh, similarly lean like what you're just talking about here. Um, now, I, I, wanted to, I want you to please share a bit more about the proprietary software which you build and or bought because um, that's such an important part, of course, of what you guys are doing, right? Um, talk, us, talk me through this a bit more. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that, Marcus, and 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 seeing that as a differentiator. So I, I, so you know, the one thing that really brought us uh, into kind of a, a whole new frontier was we built a piece of software called the Partnership Intelligence, and basically what I saw in the industry, and I guess the rest of my team, and I had built this piece of software. We inherited it was actually. Um, on the backs of another company called Market Share, which one of the founders, John Vane, is is one of my strategic advisors, and we built this this media mix modeling tool, and 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 it's really important for folks that are in the naming rights sponsorship, or what we call the COI world, contractually obligated income, is to think about sponsorship as the last medium that is not it's hard to measure. Right. You can measure TV, Marcus. You can measure digital or social, at a home billboards, print, radio. But when it comes to sponsorship, no one's really figured it out. Yes. So what we decided to do was build a valuation model that could actually value sponsorship for what it was. And if you think about sponsorship, it's more than just media. So our our our, our partnership intelligence tool has many, many different aspects, but it's broken into three different valuation systems. And the first is media. So we value all your media, but we actually allow the tool to give you a comparison. So if you're going to buy signs at a stadium, or you're going to buy digital rights from a team, or you're going to buy radio or TV spots, our tool equalize those in the marketplace. So if you're buying locally in Bangkok, we're going to show you the equivalent if you wanted to go buy a non-sports media asset in Bangkok with that sports team or that entertainment or what it is. So that was really important. No one's ever done a media mix equivalent model to take the media and allow you to look at other things that you could buy. Why do you want to do that? And you and I both know is that when you do sponsorships, the first thing that brands say is I don't have any sponsorship budget. So there's no sponsorship budget and everyone's trying to sell in a $78 billion industry, then there's no new sponsor. So what we decided to do is build a valuation system that would go out and basically steal or reallocate media from TV, radio, digital, social, at a home print and say sponsorship has that in it. That was a huge win for us and a whole new way of opening up the mindset that a sponsorship could be taking other assets, other media assets. Yep. Makes sense. That's the second 
Then the second piece of it, which is very our non-media valuation programs and platforms. So we look at intellectual property, event marketing, hospitality. Those are the kind of the ones that everyone thinks of. But then we have a sustainability platform, a community platform, a human capital HR platform. In other words, we have a module that a company can go in and shave a million dollars off their HR by plugging into our software and showing them how you can turn rewards, recognitions, bonuses, e-learning, training, development, and use that at a stadium in a way that's unique and different. Yeah, I like Um, that. And and that all of a sudden really opens up to now you have different buyers in a brand and it does sponsorship now doesn't become a marketing tool, becomes a business tool. That was mm-hmm. really profound. Uh, and, and then the and third part oh go on. For, yeah, sorry, and the fourth part would be? Yeah, and the third part is our, our direct revenue model. So we ended up going out and building a proprietary piece of software that actually will allow you to look at the direct revenue that you will contractually get back. So if you think about technology, telecom, banking, insurance, energy, flooring, you name it, um, we will we will be able to tell a brand and say, hey, listen, if you do a sponsorship with with our client, we will write you back a check in your category and you'll get that business forever. But that that sometimes could be big, but sometimes it, it might not be. So then we have an indirect model and we allow the brand to go in and build plug in their own assumptions and literally with our software, we can show how much indirect revenue you will generate from that partnership. And that sometimes is 10, 15, 20 times the amount that a uh, that the direct revenue might be. And that's really right. our secret sauce. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think it's – I believe a – a sponsorship should always be a 10x anyway, right? In in sense of a return, um, whatever then you define the return. And like you said, you know, there could be three, four, five different categories of how you define that. Uh, but if it doesn't show something like this, why why would you be doing it? And, and I'm, I think that's sort of where you guys heading with it as well, right? Showing that there is that large multiple for every dollar you're putting in, you're getting 10 back, right? Yeah. And, and here's the thing about, first of all, you, you nailed it, Marcus. But the other thing is this. If you think of sponsorship just coming from your marketing uh, division or platform. So you you go out and a brand buys a sponsorship and pays a lot of money. Yep. And, and, and oftentimes they don't then leverage what they have for other pieces of their business. Are you using it with your sales group? Are you using it with your R&D and technology group to showcase a product or a service that could be bought or integrated in? And, and it, when you start to think about that, you can really leverage it and turn it from a sponsorship to a partnership. And when you turn that thinking from a sponsorship to a partnership, that's when it's the special thing happens, and that's the name of our company, Innovative Partnerships Group. Yeah, absolutely. And I honestly, I like the word partnership a whole lot better than sponsorship as well. Um, I think it really resonates in, in my mind much better what it is and what we all what we're both trying to do. And you know, luckily we are you know trying to work together on a deal here in in Malaysia with uh, one of our clients has built this beautiful new stadium. So uh, seeing a little bit of uh, some of the tools you have now, it's hopefully soon also in action. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be an exciting time. But uh, I'll tell you, if your client's listening right now, I got off the phone last night and there's a company in Korea that's looking to expand in their marketplace. So they should hurry because we might have a live one. Exactly. Yeah, no, we're, we're working hard on that too, uh, to get the, get the final signatures there. Um, but obviously you are doing, you've started in the U.S. and, and, and let's 
use a couple of examples of some of the projects you've already done in the United States before we then talk about the other big one you have there in Europe. Uh, yeah. So tell me a bit about some of the, the projects you worked on um, in the United States over the last couple of years um, in, the, in the new group. Yeah, so the, the first one I told you about that was kind of our first client, which was a pretty special one, was uh, the NFL has the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, in Canton, Ohio. So we did, you know, like I said, the Johns Controls Hall of Fame Village naming rights, and then we went on to do uh, a lot of other partnership deals for them. We uh, early on uh, got one of the Olympic sports, USA Triathlon, where we did record revenue uh, every year that we worked with them. That was a lot, a lot of fun. We got hired by the, the only F1 property in the U.S., Circuit of Americas in Austin. Once again, we did record revenue last year uh, for them. Uh, we took on some really other interesting ones as well. I mean, one was the new Olympic sports skateboarding uh, and a company yeah. called SLS that owned the global right. So we went out and rebuilt their entire platform. But, but you know, those were ones um, in, as you're starting a business your first or second year, and those are great properties. And then all of a sudden we started to have a lot of success with some major league soccer. We did the Portland Timbers jersey with Alaska Airlines. Uh, we helped DC United with their Lidos jersey sponsorship. We helped Nashville, the new uh, 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 MLS team, with their whole commercial strategy. Yeah, my buddy Ian. There you go, Ian Ayers. Yeah. Actually, we got hired before he came on. Okay. And then the other one that was a pretty special one was uh, we helped launch in Canada the entire Canadian Premier League, which was their new soccer league. So yeah. these were really, really uh, cool projects because it wasn't just selling just a naming rights. We were selling everything uh, across the properties. Hmm. Interesting. And how did that all lead into the big one in Europe here, friends <laughs> from Barcelona? Uh, yeah. So um, that's a that's a really interesting story. So la late last year, we had um, an investment bank come in, Goldman Sachs. Sure, your audience has probably heard of who they are. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> we, we knew, you know, these are the two heads of, of their of their sports practice. And uh, we showed them our software. We showed them a new way of thinking. And, you know, Goldman Sachs represents some of the top uh, sports properties in the world, they, you know, they finance all the big new developments, stadium, uh, sports entertainment districts, et cetera. Yep. They came out of the meeting and they said, wow, we've never seen a, an approach like this. This is pretty special. In fact, you know, of all of our properties, there's one in particular that we would love you to come look at. And that's the new billion dollar euro sports entertainment city being happening in Barcelona with FC Barcelona. Yes. And we kind of laughed. We said, well, we're this boutique firm in L.A. and thanks a lot. And, you know, are we <laughs> going to be the stocking horse for all the big international companies that are coming in? Uh, a couple months later, we got a call, Marcus. We flew to New York. Um, the you know, I don't know if you know if the audience knows, but, you know, FC Barcelona is actually considered the most valuable sports property in the world outside the Olympics. One, because you can't buy them. They're owned by one hundred and forty four thousand socios. That's right. So they don't really have an own a one owner. So they did, though, have their board come and a couple of their top people. So we met with them at the top floor of Goldman Sachs office, did a two hour meeting, nice. showed them a, a new approach, a new innovative way of thinking. And, um, you know, over the course of the next 45 days, we were brought on and we are now representing them on all aspects of the business. 
Uh, they're incredible to work with. They're forward thinking. And we are on the verge, Marcus. I can't talk about this right now, but <laughs> three in particular that are going to be global game changing partnerships uh, with uh, FC Barcelona. And by the way, that's just the start. I mean, we've got a lot more because we really just kicked this off. And think about during COVID right now for us to be talking to global CEOs about, you know, spending a lot of money in partnership marketing, but we're doing it in this new way of thinking, which is more of a business partnership than a sponsorship. Yeah, I like this. And, and, and the part I really like about your, your, your approach, it's not just, you're not always just focused on the naming rights part, which in Barcelona's case, you can't name it anyway, right? It's more of a, let's call it presenting, <laughs> presenting partner, right? Because they're not going to change Newcamp to anything else. Um, so, you know, so it's, it is a, right. It's, it's not a, let's call it really naming, uh, the building anyway, right? How do you position that? Well, th well, that one, I mean, that, that will be an entitlement. So we'll, we'll probably keep camp no in the beginning. So it could be camp. No, I almost let it out the cat out of the bag. I better not say who it is, but, <laughs> but, but camp no blank. Yeah. So, yeah, so you wouldn't put the, the name in front, Correct. but we also, uh, over the course of the next five years, are building a billion-dollar next-generation sports entertainment smart city called Espe Barca. So you literally, if you put your entitlement of Camp No, you also can get the name of the city. Right. So how cool is it, Marcus, to be a technology brand or an insurance brand or a bank, and you actually can name a whole city, not just a stadium. Right. Uh, and, uh, and then – They also have a couple of other very valuable uh, assets, which you probably could guess that we're also working with them on. Yeah, I love that. And, and it just sort of reminds me so much of what we actually did here in Malaysia. Right? So we've had an area which was the uh, the main venue where you have multiple stadiums. It was built for the Commonwealth Games, right? So your typical sort of Olympic uh, sort of facility set up, big in outdoor stadium, indoor stadium, swimming pool, God knows what. So we rebranded the whole and renamed this whole thing to KL Sports City, right? Kuala Lumpur Sports City. Um, and we did exactly what you were talking about. This is now several years ago. Um, instead of saying to a brand, why don't you just come and sponsor the, the building, right? I, you can have the indoor stadium, outdoor stadium, whatever. I said, you can own the whole city or a part of the city, right? So you can name this the XYZ KL Sports City. And it's interesting enough. So again, in, at that time, and this is several years back now when we started this, people really were struggling to get their head around it what it meant to own a neighborhood in the city, right? I thought it was the, was bloody brilliant. So clearly I was a little bit ahead of the time maybe, but uh, we should come back to that. We'll pick that. We'll have that, another conversation so, on so, that. You know, you're onto something here. So if you think about, if you get your mind in, in what a CEO wants or the C-level suite or the board, why do you want to buy, do the same thing that everyone else does, putting your name on right. a stadium or an arena or a theater? What we, what we always say is, We can look at any property that we and we'll say, let's make that one of one. Let's make that so different, so unique, so valuable that you're the only one in the world like that. And when you come in with that a fresh approach, that innovative approach, good things are going to happen because now you're creating something that is is scarce. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I, and I, I, the, my thinking exactly is in that same direction there. Um, but the part I wanted to dig a bit deeper is that, which I know already, um, 
you're obviously not just always, as I said, looking at the big title. You are really breaking the whole complex into multiple platforms, right? And therefore creating, you know, all these other opportunities for other brands to come in as well, besides one who maybe has the name on the building or, or has an association on a larger sense, right? How does that work? You know, how do you guys, uh, you know, tailor that to all these other categories then? Yeah. So you, so you want to give away all my, my trade secrets to my competitors? Ah, just a couple. <laughs> so... Well, I mean, if you think about this and when we teach our, you know, I've got an incredible business development team with our lean staff that you just mentioned. But we, we say something is you can't sell over the phone and you can't sell on a Zoom or a Microsoft Teams or a Cisco, Cisco WebEx, right? So what we're always trying to do in that first or second intro call is talk about what what are you trying to do differently? And, and it always comes back to I've never met. Even a not-for-profit, Marcus, I've never met a company that didn't want revenue. So when we always come from the angle of how can we help be a business development sales channel for you, let us with our relationships with the the local city, the local community, the suite holders – the season ticket holders, the other partners and sponsors, the vendors, like let us with our ecosystem, use us to help get get in front of some of these people that you might not be doing business. And then we then break out that asset to your point. It's not now the stadium. Maybe there's certain areas within the region that can become your business development center or your showroom or a very unique area like a, you know, an amphitheater that will then bring your product or service to life. That's what we try to focus on. Hmm, interesting. Now, one other thing is, um, we, and we talked about it before, is obviously the power of the B2B part, right? right. Um, you know, which we, we, you know, again, a lot of people always think about it. It's just oh, how much branding and how much exposure I get to my customers as in, you know, uh, uh, consumers. But we both know B2B is such a big part of, of uh, when it comes to venues or, or other sponsorship elements to it. Uh, what's your thought on that? Well, I'm glad you said that. And I think it's something that if you can talk the language of, of, you know, by the way, and when you think about B2B, do you think of JP Morgan being a B2B company? Well, they are. Do you think of Ford? Absolutely. Do you think of Ford? Do you think of Coca-Cola? I'm on the phone tomorrow with uh, Hans Vesper, one-on-one. He's the global CEO of Verizon. Um, you know, I don't think Hans gets on the phone too often with a business development sales guy if that's what it is. But but what we do is we work with those folks to reimagine how they're spending their marketing dollars. And if I can help them integrate in B2B, then I say, listen, if you're already gonna spend money on TV and radio and digital and social, but I can guarantee that you're gonna get the 5G, the telecom, the technology, the infrastructure. And then you give back a little bit of your marketing dollars, but you win that business, that's not a bad thing, is it? Because now you Absolutely. can measure. And so B2B has been a very powerful tool for us. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a straight B2B company. We think of it, it could be any company in the world because any company in the world is selling products. Absolutely. And, and you know, and, and I think the, again, that's going back to how you value uh, the partnership or how you monetize the partnership the other way around, right? And and if there is business on the back of it, is that, you know, we do, we have plenty of conversation with telcos as well and exactly the same thing, right? Why would you not 
look at uh, you know putting 5G into the venue uh, and then on the back of it generating revenue streams um, you know that's that seems to be that such an obvious uh, for everyone right yeah well yeah I mean I I think that you know what we're trying to do right now is really help this very large industry reimagine and disrupt and 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 think about the fact how long it takes for brands and properties as a matchmaking process to come together to get a deal done whether it's a $100,000 deal or it's a $15 million a year naming rights deal Marcus it still takes time yeah. what we've now done with our partnership intelligence software and we're actually taking it to the next level and I don't want to do a plug right now but We've just been selected and doing a JV with one of the largest technology companies in the world out of Japan, NTT, mm. uh, $100 billion company. We're doing something very special with them, which maybe a future podcast we could talk about, where we're really going to reimagine the whole uh, marketplace for sponsorships. But, but what we're trying to do right now is help both sides make money. Because if you only have the properties trying to sell a brand of sponsorship, you and I both know when that new CMO comes in at the brand after the two or three years, um, the first thing they're going to do is say, that's not my deal. And they're going to get out of it. But if, but if we can create a business relationship with that same brand where the CFO is involved and the head of HR is involved and the business developments involved and the R&D and technology engineers are involved, now when that new CMO comes in, much harder to get out of that deal because you've now built a relationship with the whole ecosystem of the company. And that's how you do long-term partnership marketing. I totally agree. And, and one which comes to my mind always when, when I really think about someone who does it well is Allianz, the, the oh, <laughs> German insurance boys. Right? They always have, I think, five, six venues around the world. And I know the, the one of their chief marketing officers there, he, he always calls it, it becomes the home of the brand. Right. It's really and, and I think that's what they do. It's it isn't uh, just about putting a name on it. Of course, the Allianz Arena where Bayern Munich plays is probably the most famous of them. Uh, but I know they really built, you know, bring their their staff there. They have connectivity in, in many parts of their business. So uh, I, I love what they do is, well, you, you know, do you have another example like that? Someone who's really done a great job integrating it way beyond just uh, the branding side of it. Allianz is, is a great uh, example of one, and they use it really for B2B. So even though people yes. think they're doing it for marketing, they're doing it because they're bringing their best customers in the world and they're Correct. getting a unique experience. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier the Johnson Controls deal. I mean, that that, that didn't even come out of a, of a marketing budget. That came out of their business development budget and their R&D. When we did the big IBM deal uh, at, uh, Mercedes-Benz stadium, that was to launch and introduce their Pondas system. So once again, they used it as, as a showroom, uh, to do it. You know, another one is Zappos, you know, the shoe company in the United yep. States, and they've got the Zappos theater, uh, in Las Vegas, which once again, they're showing off their technology and their, you know, retail, uh, experience. Um, you know, we, we could probably go on and on around others that do it very well. I think Verizon right now is doing an incredible job with their 5G. And uh, if you notice, they're going after arenas. Why? Because the 5G experience is really good in arenas. Correct. So that's NHL. Yeah. But then they're taking some of the NFL and the stadiums. And once again, I mean, I was just out with them uh, at the Super Bowl. And what they're doing around the, the, the customer experience is uh, incredible. And by the way. You know, now with the merger of, of T-Mobile Sprint, they're also doing some pretty incredible things as well. 
Absolutely. And, and one thing is, you know, because you talked about it earlier already, you know, the, the challenges you had saw in 2008, 2009 during the financial crisis at that time. Um, I would argue what we're facing right now um, outside of the, the health crisis, um, the, the global economic uh, environment is somewhat similar, right? People are just frozen. Most um, sponsorship, let's call it marketing budgets are being frozen and or stopped. You know, if I just had that conversation with a with a large e-commerce group the other day here who makes plenty of money right now in the current environment. And even they're saying, you know what, right now we're just being told don't spend, right? And that is, I'm certain you will you see that all around the world. So it is probably, as usual, the hardest time in, in uh, for the next few years here to get folks to commit to marketing dollars. So think exactly what you're doing is saying, look, it isn't just marketing dollars. There's a whole bigger picture behind it. Uh, I think that is really the genius behind it. And you, I'm assuming that's you see that as well, right? People are just scared of spending a dollar more than they have to at the moment, right? Yeah, well, but I mean, I think you bring up a really interesting point, right? Um, you know, I was uh, – the, the Sports Business Journal uh, published a white paper that I wrote uh, last – I guess three or four weeks ago now. Mm. And uh, it, for all of us out there that remember in, in the university, uh, our psychology days, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. And, and we published something called, you know, innovative partnerships groups, sponsorship hierarchy of needs. So what you're saying, Mark, is like right it. now during this time is why are you going to go out and try to market to consumers? The first thing a brand should be thinking about right now is their people. And, and so uh, a teams, properties, entertainment companies, you can go to brands right now that can't give bonuses or laying off people or not getting recognition and do some really unique experience for them, for their employees. You know, then the next one is sort of your community. What can you be doing better in the community right now? And obviously here in the States, you might not be seeing it in Bangkok there, Marcus, but, you know, we've had some terrible riots here in the States. Social responsibility. I can tell you a couple of brands that are about to spend a billion dollars next year just on social responsibility. Right. So if you're so if you're a, a sports property and you're still trying to go out and sell someone a sign, think again, because what you really need to be thinking about is how can you be – leveraging this incredible storytelling right now to help the social needs. And then, and then, you know, then we get into other areas later. So the marketing branding should always be at the top of the pyramid um, that you're doing. And I get to tell you right now, I mean, FC Barcelona has this incredible, incredible platform right now where the, the naming rights, the entitlement of Camp No, believe it or not, Marcus, you, when your proceeds go to the Barca foundation. So how cool mm -hmm. is that? that you actually can get the naming rights and then the money can go to a program that they will go out to their 300 million fans around the world and do good. I mean, I, I can't think of a, a better way to spend your marketing dollars by helping out, you know, a cause that's worthwhile. Yeah, I, I love what Barcelona has done over the years. Obviously, UNICEF, um, you know, I think the very, the very first sponsorship or, or uh, shirt deal they ever did was, again, wasn't with a brand. It was with UNICEF, if I at least recall that correctly. Um, and other things they've done, they've they've really always been uh, as a football team, someone who, is, who thinks way beyond the box. There, uh, so I, lo I love that what they do. Well, I'll tell you, Marcus, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you onto the deal team because I think you just sold Barcelona better than uh, we did with that. You're absolutely right. I mean, here well, it is. I, you know, football is in my blood. That's for sure. Uh, and yeah, it'd be fun if I uh, joining you there. Um, now, before we wrap it up here, and I do appreciate that uh, it's getting later in the evening there, your time. Um, think of 
two or one or two examples um, of your career and, and not just uh, obviously we're talking about uh, innovative partnership groups now, but everything you've done here really over the last 20 years um, of what worked and what didn't work. What would be some learnings you would pass on now thinking back um, over your career? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, we, we've, we have a really, really, uh, I would say I was one of the things I'm proud of here at Innovate Partnership, we have what we call a junior associate program. It's another way of saying an internship program. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I gave a similar, not this podcast, but, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago to the to the, 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 the class, we call it for the summer. And and, I, and what I shared with them was early on in my career, I found out that if you give and you don't mm -hmm. sell, things will always come back to you. And, you know, I, I broke into the into the in the sports industry. I did a study in business school on the most powerful sports business executives in L.A. and built an, an economic model, power, money, labor, community. And uh, the L.A. Times picked it up. In fact, they picked it up and it was it ran in like the first five pages. What came out of that, Marcus, here I was trying to get a job into sports. And what did I do? I went out and identified the top. 20 most powerful sports business executives got them some nice press. Guess what? I got 19 out of 20 uh, informational interview inter interviews because all of them came to me and said, that was an awesome piece you did, Jeff. I'd like to meet you. So I always tell like people that are trying to break into sports, don't call up someone and ask them for something. Mm -hmm. Figure out what you can do for them. I love that. Yeah. And, and how does that link to, you know, I've seen that obviously you've been a board member on the LA Sports Council for, you know, almost 10 years as well. Uh, you know, is that part of it, um, your, your way of giving back, uh, working with the community or? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, look, at it's funny that you say that, you know, uh, early on you talked about, you know, what is the good and what's the bad? You know, what one thing that we've done in Innovative Partnerships Group is we've diverse now. We have a whole healthcare partnership marketing division, university, municipality, right. not-for-profit. And, and early on, I thought it was important to, to join a couple of not-for-profit boards, Marcus, because what was what were we really doing? We're helping owners that are very wealthy people make more money. That's not really, from my Cal Berkeley liberal days, that <laughs> admirable. Right. What I always thought was, why don't we take some of the, um, you know, not just, you know, I built a, a little family foundation, But, and we give, but more importantly, we now work with uh, municipalities and not-for-profits, and we right. use our incredible um, partnership marketing expertise, and we help them bring deals too. And that's been a really, that's been a pleasure for uh, for everyone here at Innovative Partnerships Group. Talk about the healthcare part for a minute, because I, I again, I love the the spin there, and I know you've brought someone in there as an expert in the space, um, you know, but it's still quite a new part of the business, from what I understand, right? Can you share a little bit already on that? Yeah, we uh, we identified a, a huge opportunity uh, late last year to do um, healthcare partnership marketing. We brought in Eric Martin, who's considered probably one of the top healthcare executives in the country. And you know, if you Google him and see what he's done, it's, it's quite impressive. So matching his industry expertise and our expertise at Innovative Partnerships Group on partnership marketing. We, we basically trailblazed a new industry where we work directly with hospital systems uh, and medical centers and healthcare REITs and wellness districts, and we bring them partnerships. So we turn them into the stadium, into the team, and bring them beverage deals, technology deals, telecom deals, insurance deals. And uh, it's been 
absolutely phenomenal, especially during a time right now where so many of them are looking for new revenue streams. We basically overnight unlocked a whole new way of getting COI uh, for that industry sector. That's cool. And I really like that. I I think, again, uh, I love the the way thinking out of the box or taking, again, what works in, uh, let's call it, in the world of sports and taking it into completely new space. And we've done that with what we call branded real estate, where you you know what we've done there, where we basically flip-flopped the concept of of a naming rights deal. Um, where the brand pays to be on the building. In this case, the building pays the brand uh, or the developer pays the brand to create a co-branded environment uh, and create very successful uh, projects on the back of it. So I, I, I like that. I like the thinking there. And uh, that's for sure. Now, before we wrap it up here, and, and I really enjoyed this. We're almost uh, on here now for an hour already. Um, what would be an area where you say, look, this was a really painful lesson besides the one you mentioned earlier, really not taking some equity in, uh, in the, uh, in, what was it? And stop up there. Um, what else would you consider was a painful lesson um, you've learned over those years and, and, you know, put it out there for people to learn from? Um, yeah, well, I mean, look at, I, I think that, uh, you know, when you're, when you're the CEO of a company that uh, you, every day are probably learning something pretty new. I, I would say my learnings was, and, and I think this is this happens a lot in, in sales organizations, is the salespeople get treated the best, right? Mm. They're the rainmakers, they're bringing the revenue, they get to go out, they get to go uh, meet with all the folks, they do all the you know drinks and dinners, and, and they get all the accolades, they get all the yep. trophies, they get all the recognition. What we did at Innovative Partnerships Group is we early identified the art of the deal and the creative people and the valuation people and the project managers and all of those folks are equally important on getting a long-term partnership, naming rights, jersey deal done. Mm -hmm. So my learnings from my old agency to this one was don't recognize and reward the salespeople. Go out and recognize the whole team and let the team know that the salesperson is giving back. It's, it's no different than a restaurant, right? You think about a restaurant. You got the waiter who should be tipping out the busboy, the hostess, and the bartender. At right. Innovative Partners Group, we have that same model. So, you know, I've got a rock star biz dev guy named Matt Weiner. Make sure that none of my competitors hear that name. And, and what he does is he makes the whole team around him great, and he's the one that's, that's get, bringing them into meetings, getting them in, acclimated with the clients, and we turn the creative guys and the valuation guys into part of our business development team, and they're rooting for Matt to go close that deal. Right. I love it. And, and again, just uh, you know, one last question here. Uh, um, so how is your compensation model in the in the group? You sell you you have sponsor uh, sorry commission within uh, in the team or how do you structure that to you know have the sort of monetary reward as well attached to what you just said? Well, I mean, I think I told you Innovative Partnerships Group is uniquely different. So we're a not for profit. We don't we don't ask for any money, Marcus. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying that you're making commission. I'm <laughs> saying how you share that internally. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. We, we, have a, we have a very interesting business model where we, instead of creating the salespeople that are all cutthroat and competitive and I want this account and you've got that lead, let me tell you something. Everyone knows someone at Coca-Cola. Everyone knows someone at Ford. Everyone knows someone, you know, at, you know, Delta. So instead of having all our salespeople fight over those accounts, 
we all work together. Uh, one person might take the lead. We have a shared pool account. Um, the rainmakers do very, very well. So we still uh, provide that opportunity to go out and individually make a lot of money. But we also uh, create a spirit here where everyone gets paid. So it's that it's that restaurant model. The money actually gets distributed to the whole team. As a pool. Yeah, I like that. And we've, we've used a similar model before as well within the team because I totally agree. It is never just even if you maybe are the lead and the guy who knows the most about it, you do need all the others on the team um, to play their parts and, uh, and they therefore they should be rewarded. So I, I, I completely agree with that. Ah, interesting. Well, look, Jeff, thanks for all the sharing here. Um, we'll try to make sure that none of your competitors to listen to what ah. we've been talking about, of course, here <laughs> and learn from it. But uh, for the rest of the world who isn't your competitor but can learn from, A, the amazing things you've done and the, the incredible things you're doing already right now uh, in the new agency here, um, I hopefully they do listen closely because uh, there was a lot of great nuggets in it. Um, and hopefully they get in touch with you because uh, you guys are doing onto something amazing there. So good luck with it. And I enjoy working with you here in Asia and bringing your, your uh, systems and, and, uh, and concepts here. So this is going to be uh, where we're going to be spending time with over the next few years. I'm looking forward to working with you, Marcus. You made this, this conversation very easy and uh, you're a true professional. And uh, thank you so much. No, same here, and uh, have a good evening there in L.A. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks, Marcus. Cheers. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.